our uh, scripture that can be found on page four of your bulletin. Um, and the title for this sermon is A Friend of God. This is Jesus in the famous discourse, the Sermon on the Mount. I meant, and it's actually, this is my commandment. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The word of the Lord. His name was Joseph Scriven, and you wouldn't know anything about him probably except for one thing, which I'll share in a bit. And he was a hard, uh, lived a hard life. He was born in Ireland in 1820, and his prospects at the time seemed favorable. He was educated at Trinity College in Dublin and was engaged to be married, a young man with his whole life ahead of him. And then tragedy struck. Struck His fiancée drowned on the evening before their wedding. This was the first of many misfortunes that led him to consecrate his life and property to Christ's service. He adopted some of the teachings of the Plymouth Brethren and migrated to Canada, where he taught and tutored to make his living. Again, he found love and became engaged to Elisa Rocher. And once again, tragedy struck. Shortly before the couple were to marry, the girl became ill and died. One can hardly estimate Joseph's shock and depression. He joined the local Plymouth Reverend and assisted their elderly members. His own sorrows seemed to make him more aware of the suffering of the poor and weak as he attempted to live out the Sermon on the Mount, giving or lending to anyone who asked and sympathizing with all who were more unfortunate than himself. He sawed wood for the stoves of the physically handicapped and comforted the poor and mentally distressed. When he heard of his mother's depression and sadness, who was still in Ireland, he penned a poem for which he became famous. It was only after his death that he was noticed for it, and that song is what a friend we have in Jesus. I find it very singular that it was Joseph who wrote the song because he understood pain and sorrow and loss. And amidst his solitariness, amidst his sorrow, he was forced and driven to the person of Jesus. And it was there that he found friendship with the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And so he wrote these words. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I'll also read the third verse. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find the solace there. 
with beautiful words from a man of sorrows who discovered that Jesus, in addition to being his Savior and his Lord, was also his friend. It's a most astounding thought, isn't it? That the God of the universe, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who controls the universe and the solar system, calls us friend. And the reality is, as we pause and think about friendship, the truth comes home that you'll never find a more faithful friend than Jesus. So treasure and nurture this of all your greatest friendships. Jesus gives us some secrets to what it means to know Jesus as our friend and to be a friend of Jesus. And so we're really only going to look at two things in this sermon. Number one, what does it mean to have Jesus Christ as our friend? And secondly, what does it mean to be a good friend to Jesus? Because surely friendship is a two-way street, is it not? To be friended by Jesus and to be a friend of Jesus. What a noble cause, what a noble hope. Well, let's look at these two points with number one. How do we know and discover Jesus as our friend? Jesus begins this passage with verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now notice, there are really two dimensions of Jesus' calls to love. There's the first one that he's been working on, that vertical relationship. I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Remain in my love. If you abide in my hands, you will remain in my love. But now he shifts to a second dynamic, to this love not simply for God, but this love for one another. And it's clear when he's speaking of one another, he's speaking of the context of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Yes, to be sure, he calls us to love our enemies, to love those who are not believers, but he's speaking of specific love between the brothers and sisters. The Greek word is Philadelphia. And we know that city, that famous city, the city of brotherly love. Philos meaning uh, brother and uh, uh, Delphia meaning love. Um, the, uh, so the, uh, Jesus says that we are to love one another. And notice that he gives this as a command. It's not a suggestion. It's something that God is calling to us to do. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. All of Jesus' life has been a demonstration on how to love these disciples, hasn't he? He called them to himself. He has loved them and served them and listened to them and laughed with them and cried with them. Just uh, uh, earlier that night, he's washed their feet. And now he's going to demonstrate the ultimate love. In verse 13, that greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus speaks the words, and tomorrow he will be hung on a cross as he gives up his life for his friends, his brothers, and his sisters, the disciples. Now think about this fact that Jesus calls us his friends is quite remarkable because we know something about friendship. We all have friends and are friends to people and how are friendships normally struck? How do they come into being? Well, often friendship comes from a shared position. You belong to a certain social class 
and you are friends with people in that particular social class. You habit inhabit the same circles, you spend time together, people in the same position are friends with one another. Very rarely is there one friend who is high and exalted class and someone who is on the street. And yet Jesus is the living word of God. There is no higher being than you can get to than Jesus Christ. And yet we are like specks, aren't we? Finite beings, as small and limited as we can get, and sinful as he is holy. And yet Jesus condescends to call us his friends. Normally you build friendships with people that you have an affinity for. You share similar values, similar uh, uh, enjoyments with one another. You share similar hobbies. That's how you get to know one another, right? And yet the things that Jesus is passionate about and cares about is his holiness, his heart for goodness and love and truth. And he befriended us while we were still enemies of God. Not interested in the things of God at all, right? And yet Jesus reached out to us and befriended us when we did not have shared values. You're normally friends with people that you enjoy company with. And yet the things in our minds and in our hearts that we entertain from time to time are so anathema to the person of Jesus Christ. And yet he loves us and calls us his friends. More than simply loving us, he likes us. What is it that really makes a friend? It's all of those things that lead to one deeper thing. Intimacy and openness. You know, there's really only one other example of a person in the entire Bible that Jesus, that, that God, called a friend. Though one could make the argument, and that's Abraham, though one could make the argument that Moses was God's friend, because in Exodus 33:11, it says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. He would share openly with Moses. But in Abraham, we see that Abraham is called, in James 2:23, the friend of God. What is it that made Abraham a friend of God? It was that God would share his inner thoughts with Abraham. If you'll remember Genesis 18:16, when God comes uh, in the form of those three visitors under the trees at Mamre, and he tells Abraham that you're going to have a son, and Sarah laughs. And as the three uh, angelic visitors representing God are going away, it says, then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. In other words, I shall I withhold my plans what I intend to do from this person, Abraham, who I call my friend. See, it's your friends that you share your innermost thoughts with, your innermost heart and intentions, and in our case, our innermost doubts and fears. And so what is it that Jesus says in verse 15? No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. 
I have brought you disciples and believers into my inner circle. You kind of, you know what I'm talking about, what he's talking about here, right? Sometimes we go out to lunch, let's say, with our friends or deep friends. Imagine you gather two or three of your deepest friends and you're gathered around a table at a restaurant and you're talking about deep and intimate things and the waiter comes up and what happens? The conversation changes, right? Because you're sharing about your most inmost thoughts and here is someone from the outside. It's not for him, it's privileged information only among intimate friends. That's what Jesus is saying, that I no longer call you servants. I no longer call you outsiders. You are my inner circle. Think about that. I mean, we can understand maybe Abraham or Moses, but me, a friend of God, who he wants to share his heart with. Now, are you saying to me, Carlos, that we are not servants of God? No, I'm not saying that. But we're servants in a different way than simple servants. We're friends with the king. To be sure, his station is different than us. He is the creator. We are the creature. He is the king who is our brother and our friend. And he is to be obeyed, for he is good. But we are his friends. As I was thinking about this passage, I thought of one of my friends. His name is Joe Marcel. I was on the phone with him yesterday, as I am from time to time. He lives up in the Baltimore area. He's been here with his family worshiping him. I met Joe when I went on staff with Young Life when I graduated college. He was my trainer and the area director of Harrisonburg. And it didn't take long before Joe and I became fast friends. We seemed to see world and the world in a lot of the same way. Same quirky sense of humor, same interest in music. And as we were paired together on countless Young Life assignments where we were the program directors, he was Banana Man. I was Minnie Marshmallow Boy. I was Dino Boy. He was the priest. And we did these ridiculous duos with one another and shared life with one another. We love simply being together. When our oldest son passed away, it was Joe who was there to come down and to comfort our hearts, to come alongside me, to help me remember that which is familiar and good. Last year, Joe had a heart attack. He was at a swim meet and literally fell smack on his face as his heart stopped and multiple times flatlined. And yet by God's grace, he did not take Joe away from me. And of course it made sense that as he was in the hospital, that I would go up and I would spend the night there in the hospital with him, to be with him, to watch over him and care for him. Where else would I want to be but close to my dearest friend? It's my fervent hope that at some day when we are in old age, and wearing mismatched socks and floppy hats, that he'll pick me up and we'll head to Hardy's and have some coffee and read the paper, and then maybe walk down to the beach and feed the seagulls or something like that. I don't know. A good dear friend in need is a friend indeed. We may have a friend like that. I pity you if you don't. If you can have one or two of those in your entire life, you're a blessed person. 
But Jesus views you as his treasured friend. He treasured your friendship so much that even though you were on life support for your sin, he came and took your place on the cross that he might wash you clean, that he might bring you and present you to himself, that he might simply be with you. We've been saved to serve, yeah, that's true. But I think we've really been saved to be loved. See, Jesus doesn't just want to be your savior. He wants to be your friend. So how valuable is Jesus' friendship to you? Truth is, Carlos, if I'm honest, I don't think of him as a friend. He's my boss. He tells me what to do, and I do it. He plays the samba, and I dance. I'm sorry, that was a ringtone. He's my boss. He's this person that sort of comes down and he issues a mandate. You know, you have one boss like that, go do this and you go and do it. Maybe he's not your boss, but he's your rich uncle. You got one like this, you don't really have a friendship with him. It's just when you need something, you know, you give him a call. Hey, I really need this. Can you take care of it? And because you're related and everything and he likes you, he goes ahead and does it. But share my innermost thoughts and feelings? No. Maybe he's not a boss. Maybe he's not a rich uncle. Maybe he's a terrifying God. I don't, I don't trust him. I don't think he has my best interests at heart. No, he sees you as a friend. And he proved it on the cross. So see him as your best friend. Jesus doesn't just love you. He likes you. And what he wants is what he did and is doing to you. For you to share your heart with him like he shares his heart with you. To pursue a friendship with Jesus. It takes work. It takes intentionality. It takes risk. But just like it's a joy to my heart when I see my friend, when I drive to Baltimore to see him or he comes down to see me, if he truly wants to be our friend, does he not experience joy when we show and reciprocate friendship to him? And sorrow when we rebuff his friendship advances, when we refuse to see him as he truly is? Jesus is a friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Do you have trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. For can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Jesus is a friend. I hope you discover that and know that. Well, this brings me to my second point. What does it mean to be a friend to Jesus? We all have heard the song, What a Friend I Have in Jesus. Is there a song that's been written, What a Friend I Am to Jesus? Wouldn't that be great at the end of your life to pen a song, What a Friend I Am to Jesus, that speaks of your life? But what is it that makes a good friend? Faithfulness? Loving kindness? Affinity? To become interested in the things that your friend is interested in, right? See, the thing is, Jesus can't make us be a friend to him. 
You can't make anybody be a friend. You can make someone be a servant, but that never was Jesus' intention, was it? No longer do I call you servants, you who believe in me. I call you friends. Jesus can't make us his friends, but he tells us what to do if we want to be a friend to Jesus. Notice verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. It doesn't say you are my slaves if you do what I command you. See, if we were his slaves, he could make us do what he commands us, right? It's a choice that we have. Now, why is it that he gives us this test of friendship? You are my friends if you do what I command you. It's because Jesus' commands are synonymous with his person. What Jesus commands is integral to who he is. There's a reason that Jesus says to love your enemies and be kind and gracious to others because Jesus is that sort of person. He is a person, by the way. Three persons in one God. He has a personality. See, friends share the same convictions. See, you're my friends if you do what I command you is not as much a prescription, it's a description. It shows who you are by how you live. If you share the same convictions that I do, it's obvious that you are my friend. Friends are interested in what's important to you. I once had a friend, I, at least I thought he was my friend. And as I look back, I realized that he really wasn't that good a friend. When I left my old church and I came to this church and was excited to start this church, not start this church, be the pastor of this church and be a part of this church and so forth. And I don't know how many different ways I communicated in my heart and soul, come check us out. Not necessarily even come and be a member, but this is, this is what's beating in my heart. And if you had a friend who was near and dear to you and started a church, wouldn't you go at least once? Because that's important to them. But he never did. What is Jesus passionate about? What makes his heart beat? Notice verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment. You know, he could have chosen a different commandment. I spent last night, all through the night, adding up all the specific commands of Jesus Christ. There are 282 of them in the New Testament. But he says, this is my commandment. This is the one I'm most passionate about. That's kind of strange in a little bit, isn't it? If you want someone to be your friend, you tell them, you know, normally it's to love me, right? But Jesus doesn't say love me. He says, love your fellow brother and sister. Because loving others is like loving him. I'll say it again. Loving others is like loving him. Remember Matthew 25, the story of the sheep and goats? When Jesus says to the sheep, come and celebrate with me and take your inheritance prepared before the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. And it goes on and on and the righteous say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. 
And notice he says in it, to the least of these my brothers. He's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ in this particular analysis. He's talking about you and me. Because Christ is in you through the Holy Spirit. And Christ is in me. We are Christ bearers, if you will. Anybody named Christopher in here or have a middle name, Christopher? It means Christ bearer. And so to love you is to love Christ in you. To love you is to love the one that Jesus gave his life for. To be sure, Jesus wants us to love all people. But this sermon isn't about that. He specifically shows his specific love for believers. Galatians 6.9 puts it this way, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See, Jesus has opened up his heart to us because he wants us to join him in his mission. For I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I want you to be my hands and feet. My heart in you, and you my hands and feet. I want you to join me in this mission. That's why I'm calling it a co-mission. It's a great co-mission that we're on together, Jesus and I. To love one another. Jesus said in verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, I, he may give it to you. I chose you for this very purpose. Now to be sure, there's love in my heart for Jesus Christ. It was I who said to him, I do. It was I who wanted him. But before I ever did, before I was ever interested, before the foundation of time, before there was a world, he loved me. And he chose me. And at the proper time, he showed me his grace and struck my heart, and I too did love him. See, he's saying, I'm choosing you, and I'm remaking you, just like me. Into me, as one who loves others, just like I do. There's something about friendship. When I get around Joe and Marcel, Joe and I start talking the same. What is it? I don't know. We just have a common speech, a common language. I start resembling him. That's what friendship's like, right? You start being reshaped into the other person. It's like Joe's my pet. He's going to listen to the sermon, so I have to kind of say something like that. This is what God is calling you and I to be with each other. Do you know that our session, our elders, we meet once a week? I don't know another session, elders that meet once a week. Barry and Alex and Ken Doyle and myself get together every Friday morning. Now maybe we could crank out the business once a month like a regular session, but I'm not interested in simply business. See, the point is for us to know one another, what's going on in each other's lives. How's our marriage doing? How's our work doing? How's our heart with the Lord? And so these are the questions that we lead with in our session meeting. When 
we got to walk alongside Ken or continue to walk in alongside as he shared difficulties and challenges and doubts and hopes about Darla and his love for her. You know, a lot of the things I was able to share in the funeral that uh, many of you all were at were things that I heard from him at that particular time because of the session meetings. See, we don't do church. We are a church. And he has given us a great commission. As you are going to make disciples, which starts with us right here. Sure, we could get the work done of church, right? Everybody pitch in, punch your clock, pull your lever, go home. We could have a nice, shiny, wonderful church that's wonderful on the outside, but there's no life on the inside. Jesus is saying, I know you have busy families. I know you have work that wants to demand everything of you. But if we don't have time for each other, and I mean more time than simply getting together once a Sunday to sit in a pew and then go home, can we really say that we're embracing Jesus' command to love one another as I have loved you? So who are you sharing your heart with? Who are you loving? We can't do that with everyone, of course. You have to be more specific. But who's God given you an affinity for or a heart for in this church? Maybe you need to take just a step of faith out. Maybe you need to come on that men's retreat and to listen to other guys' stories and to open up your heart and share it. Maybe you need to start going to that women's Bible study to hear and listen and care. We all need each other. And it's more than simply needing each other. It's what God has called us to do and be. To be a friend to Jesus is to be a friend to one another. And somehow, in some way that I don't understand, as I love you and you and you love me, I fall more in love with Jesus. Close with this thought. C.S. Lewis shared this. He used to get together with this group of guys called the Inklings. They'd get together at some pub and they'd drink beer and they'd share their different stories. One of the, one of the Inklings was J.R.R. Tolkien who wrote the Lord of the Rings series. And it wasn't all pretty, it wasn't all, sometimes they'd argue with one another, they'd stomp out of the room, they'd have to get together and reconcile. Friendship is a hard business. It's a hard, beautiful business. But I believe it was Tolkien, it might have been one of the other guys, when it's Tolkien, he said, I'm so sad that Tolkien has died, because not only have I missed seeing Tolkien, but now because he's not here, I will not be able to see all the rest of my friends through his eyes. See, that's kind of like it is, isn't it? When I love you, I'm able to see Jesus through your eyes as Jesus makes himself available and open to me. Well, I've labored on enough, I think, with this sermon. But I want to leave you with this thought. You will never find a more faithful friend than Jesus. To tre so treasure and nurture your greatest friendship. Come to the Lord. This is kind of an exciting time for me because I'm actually turning off my cell phone for the next two weeks. There, it went off right there. Now you may be wondering, how am I going to get in touch with Carlos? I have another phone that simply has 
um, uh, text and phone message. If you'll remember, we are embarking on this journey where we're talking about the reality is that rituals shape us and do something to us far more than we realize. And I have a challenge for you. And my challenge is not necessarily to turn off your cell phone. That might come down the road. But what's the first thing you do when you wake up? Do you reach over to your phone? Do you turn it on? Do you check your email? Do you check your social media? Will you, for this next week, make the first thing you do when you wake up to go ahead and open up the Bible and read a psalm and spend four or five minutes in silence letting the Lord speak to you and start your day that way? The Bible says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. And so we begin with this simple ritual. Let the Lord be first in your day. And we'll come back together and we'll talk about it next week. Let's pray. What an astounding promise. What beauty that you call us to be your friend. Help us to see you in that way because without your Holy Spirit, without your heart, there's no way we could grasp such a concept. But you demonstrated it, Jesus, for you came near and took on flesh that humanity might be with you. So guide us, Lord. Help us to be your friend and help us to be friended by you. We pray all of us in Christ's name. Amen.